Hey, listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates. There's nothing worse than hiring people that you really like, but that aren't good workers or that aren't good managers. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, I'm welcoming the show um, probably one of the first people I ever met in this industry going to a conference that I didn't know from uh, another reason, like a partner or like a SaaS or like a Clavio or something like that. Uh, so it's very funny. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about networking later on in this conversation. Uh, but today, we're welcoming the show Kyle Ewing. Tyle- Kyle is the president and founder of Terra Slate Waterproof Paper. Uh, they make everything from price tags at Whole Foods to restaurant menus to military field manuals. And we'll talk more about their unique uh, kind of offerings here in a bit. Uh, but Kyle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh uh, yeah, I'm excited to get started. So this isn't your first business, right? Um, you you uh, kind of had a uh, we call it a success uh, with your first go around too, or was it your first go around? I guess you can clarify. But uh, take me back to 2014, uh, kind of with your first uh, your first business. Yeah, sure thing. In 2014, I started a company called Gorilla Tags ID Systems, and we made ID systems for athletes. And so this would be something that you'd wear around your neck or on your wrist or lace it into your shoes which would contain your name, uh, medical allergies, and your emergency contacts. That way, if you and I went mountain biking and you bumped your head, I'd immediately know um, who to call and the, the medics would know how to treat you right away. Absolutely. And you kind of found quick success there, it seems. Um, you ended up selling that company? Yeah, we were thrilled. The product really took off well. Um, the, the market was there. And I made a nice exit. Um, I, I was thrilled about that. The process was very easy. I probably got um, treated a little too well on that, but we sold to a competitor, and man, um, it was a it was a great great opportunity and experience for me. Back in 2014, was this a direct consumer brand as well, or was this a little more traditional? Yep, yep. D to C. Um, you know, the, the challenge for us on that business was that the product was so durable that if I sold you one, you never needed two. And you know you might buy one for your brother or your mother or whomever, but every sale was basically unique. And that was a challenge. And that was something that I committed to once I sold that business. Like My next business is going to have a product that you need to buy and rebuy. Yeah, that's right there. First piece of gold right off the bat. I mean, that's uh, when you're thinking about building a company... Um, you may have a fantastic product, but yeah, that repurchase. Because I guess Kyle, explain why that's important. I want to. I don't want to use my words. Absolutely. The reason a repurchase is important is that when you are growing a brand, you're using things like Google Ads, Facebook Ads. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with it. They end up being very expensive. Now, the product we made was about thirty bucks, and we would sometimes spend as much as 15 bucks trying to sell it. You know, at the beginning, our ads were really expensive. We didn't know how to target very well. We didn't know what would resonate with our customers. And so we would barely break even 
um, on those orders. And yes, we were thrilled to grow the brand, but we weren't growing very profitably at first because there wasn't enough money um, left over after we paid for the ad, the cost of the materials and shipping and all that jazz. So the reason you want a product that's consumable or that somebody will buy today and then they'll buy it again next month and again the next month after that is that you target them, you sell the ad once and then you get to continually make money from them after that going forward. So you do something like a Clavio email marketing campaign and you, you touch base when you know what their, their interval is likely to be a month or two months or whatever it is for your product. You shoot them a note right before that day comes and you say, Hey, Chase, you know, I'm, I'm so thrilled. Thank you so much for your review. You know, when you need another order, here's what you bought last time. Let us know when you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, just uh, uh, selling um, a product to an existing customer is almost infinitely easier than selling it to someone that has never purchased from you before. So having, um, you know, and that's that's why you see some brands that can't really do that when they have a really interesting product. They kind of come out with another product that's very similar or like in the same, like that's parallel, so they they can then cross sell. And this is all basically a play to increase lifetime value because customer acquisition costs are very expensive. That's exactly right. In 2015, uh, you sold uh, Gorilla Tag's ID system, and then did you just immediately turn around and launch TerraSlate? Was it that? Was it that fast? I sat on the beach for two weeks, uh, thinking, you know, I'm going to enjoy the good things in life. But um, I think any true entrepreneur gets bored with that pretty quickly. You, you just feel your mind start to rot, and you're immediately thinking, like, what else can I do? And oh, by the way, you just got this great education from one startup. And now you've learned all that stuff. You feel like it would be a shame to throw it all away uh, because you can't get that knowledge at school. Like you can't get it in a book. You can you can learn a lot that way, but there's nothing like going through the experience and living and dying on each sale. Um, so it's really exciting to start your next business from a platform that you didn't have when you started your first one. So it was pretty much immediate thereafter. Absolutely, and and you said something there. You know, like the education from starting your own business. Um, I have heard a lot of people say. That you know, and I know you have your MBA, so this is going to be a very direct question. Is like the education you get from starting a business may almost be better than going to school. I would one hundred percent agree with that. School gives you a lot of tools. You know, you're you're building that tool chest, and so you've got a lot of things to pull from, and you you've done a lot of case studies. Those are often helpful, but there's just nothing like real world experience. You know, and MBA program is never going to teach you how to do a, a vendor negotiation. You know, you're negotiating a contract with a vendor and they say, well, Kyle, you know, you're nobody and we're a massive global multinational. So this is the contract, take it or leave it. And I mean, that's compelling because you're like, well, I guess you're right. I mean, I'm nobody compared to you guys. So I guess I'm going to have to go with this contract. But the truth is like, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. And what they'll say when you push back on their contract is, well, everybody signs this contract. And, and your response is, you know, I appreciate that. But for us to do business, here's what we need to do. And, and the, the line that I say all the time is a contract is a meeting of the minds. You know, I married my attorney and she wasn't my attorney at the time, but um, she was in law school. And so I've learned a lot from her. And, you know, the, those early contracts are so brutal. The terms are terrible. They make you pay everything up front. You know, the liability is entirely on you. And you just don't learn that in business school. So like, you got to go through the process. You've got to get skunked by somebody before you realize like, Hey, on the last contract like this, here's how we got skunked. We got to make sure that's not 
going to be an issue in this contract going forward. Um, so uh, I could give you a thousand examples like that. I highly recommend going to graduate school. I got a lot out of it. I made a lot of good connections, but there is just nothing like doing a startup. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a crash course. And, you know, I think that with that statement and the sentiment behind like starting a business, you're going to learn a lot. It, you as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as the person doing this, you have to be willing to put in the work and to educate yourself. I think that there was a major shift in at least our business when you know we started investing in our education. We started reading business books on particular topics that we felt we were weak on. And then we started getting mentors and coaches. And that is when things changed, is when we started investing in ourselves and our knowledge. And then also going out there, seeing what worked, making mistakes and learning from them uh you know there's there's also that side of it absolutely yeah i mean like there's so much good stuff in business books and podcasts you can learn i mean i'm consuming podcasts like on my way to work on the way home while i'm running at the gym in the shower um it's a free knowledge base you know tap that get get as much free knowledge as you can because somebody will say something and it'll hit you and you'll be like, wow, that just saved me an epic amount of time and probably a lot of resources. So, you know, like you guys are already doing the right thing, hopping on this podcast, you know, learn everything you can from Chase. You know, we met like four or five years ago now, and it's just been awesome watching, watching your business, Chase, just, just rock and roll and then getting to be here and sit with you here today. Awesome. Thank you, man. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, maybe Electric Eye can help. Our team has helped our clients generate millions of dollars in additional revenue through our unique brand scaling framework. You can learn more about our agency at electriceye.io. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Y-E.io. Mesa is the expansion pack for your Shopify store to level up your brand. By turning all your apps into your business epicenter, Mesa can help lighten your workload and tame the day-to-day -day chaos of running your store. Join successful brands like Mudwater, Chubbies, and Golden to learn how to use clever workflows to get more done without more overhead. Whether you need to order details in Google Sheets, products added on Etsy, or customer information updated in your CRM, Mesa connects your data where it's needed most. To put it quite simply, Mesa is a better way to work. Browse pre-made templates for Shopify's most popular apps to get your first automation up and running in minutes. Search Mesa, that's M-E-S-A, in the Shopify App Store and download the app today. Is your store holiday ready? Now is the time to make sure you and your team are prepared for the busy season ahead. Gorgeous, an omni-channel help desk built for e-commerce has machine learning functionality that takes the pressure off small support teams and gives them the tools to manage a large number of inquiries at scale, especially during the holiday season. Gorgeous combines all your different communication channels like email, SMS, social media, live chat, and even phone into one platform and gives you an organized view of all your customer inquiries. Their powerful functionality can save your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Merchants can close tickets faster than ever with the help of pre-written responses integrated with customer data to increase the overall efficiency of customer support. Their built-in automations also free up time for support agents to give better answers to complex product-related questions, providing next-level support, which helps increase sales, brand loyalty, and recognition. Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand, says, We're a seven-figure business, and we have essentially one person on customer support and experience. It's impossible to do it without tools such as Gorgeous to help us innovate. Learn how to level up your customer support by speaking to their team. 
visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest. Mention this podcast when you sign up to get two months free. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Today's show is sponsored by the B Profit app for e-commerce sellers. If you're looking to get a crystal clear picture of your online store's profitability, the best way to do that is with the B Profit Profit Tracker. Your online business probably has a ton of different expenses that often shift and change. What if you could keep accurate track of things like ad spend and production costs and get an accurate profit margin calculation without the headache of spreadsheets or half-baked apps? That's where B Profit comes in. B Profit lets you analyze all of your store's data quickly and accurately to stay on track and optimize your profits. I know a lot of our listeners out there probably keep track of their profits and expenses with a spreadsheet. That will work for a while, but as your store starts to scale up, that simply isn't a viable method of accurately measuring profitability anymore. B Profit can change all of that for you. Available on Shopify and all the other top e-commerce platforms, the app offers advanced analytic tools to turn mountains of data into intuitive charts and graphs in the blink of an eye. Customize your dashboard, discover valuable insights, and zoom in on the metrics that matter most to you. Take it a step further and gain full control over your data by creating and exporting custom reports. You can even find out which are your most valuable products, top performing ads, best customer cohorts, and so much more with the B Profit Profit Tracker. Visit bprofit.co today to start your seven day trial. Don't forget to use code HONEST15, that's H O N E S T 15, to get an exclusive 15% off any plan you choose for the lifetime of your plan. That's bprofit.co, discount code H-O-N-E-S-T-1-5. Getting an online business off the ground isn't easy. So if you find yourself working late, tackling a to-do list that's a mile long with your fifth cup of coffee by your side, remember, great email doesn't have to be complicated. That's what Klaviyo is for. It's the email and SMS platform built to help e-commerce brands earn more money by creating genuine customer relationships. Once you set up your free Klaviyo account, You can start sending beautiful branded messages in minutes thanks to drag and drop design templates and built-in guidance. And with e-commerce specific recommendations and insights, you can keep growing your business as you go. Get started with a free account at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. So I have a a question that's not really on our our journey that we're doing here, but it's something that I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are always... Maybe it's a sticking point for them. So you've launched two businesses with two cool ideas. Where are you getting these ideas from? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, in, in full disclosure, this is this is my third company. I had one in parallel with TerraSlate uh, and it, it bombed. I got a nice, very expensive education as I call it. But the, the ideas, I think the ideas are free flowing, you know, like those... Those happen, but the the one piece of caution that I would extend is that the road is littered with good ideas. Everybody's got a good idea, and they're worth nothing. Like everybody says, "Oh, I got a million dollar idea," and I can tell you right now what it's worth, and it's zero if you don't execute on it. You know, like it it all comes down to can you execute on this? You know, I started a paper company in a digital world. That's a bad idea when you look at it on the surface. And then what we figured out is like, okay we can sell this to the military because they need waterproof paper and lamination doesn't work in the field because you can't bring a laminating machine with you. Um, So there's opportunities everywhere. The key is you've got to take the first step and figure out how to launch it and then see it through. So ideas are awesome. You know, 
But don't be afraid to tell people your ideas. They're not going to steal it from you. They don't have the passion. They don't have the background. You know, they already have a job or something they're working on. So if you tell somebody you got an idea for something, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to run away with it, even if they're Google. You know, I mean, like they just even Google doesn't have resources to just jump on your idea. So tell people what you think. Say, hey, Chase, well, I got this new idea. What do you think? And then Chase will tell you, like, yeah, I think it's great. Or have you thought of this? And you're like, ah, okay, that was that was something I hadn't thought of yet. And that's going to get me in a direction um, towards success that I might not have found on my own for a while. So tell people your ideas. Uh, there's there's very little risk in doing that. Yeah, I'm going to double down on that. It's You have a good idea. Great. Uh, it's worth nothing. Again, doubling down on what Kyle said. But also... That there is always like this fear of I got a great idea and like now I want to go get feedback from people and you're like oh sign this NDA don't do that that is the sign of a of a someone that doesn't know what they're doing unfortunately NDAs make sense when you have a business that actually has some proprietary information like once it's proven and there's a track record that's a little more enticing and an NDA may make sense at that point I'm not a lawyer talk to one but when you're first getting started you want to get feedback in real time from a people that know that industry, B, potential customers. And if you're trying to make people sign NDAs, you're not going to get real feedback from those people. Um, so just just go out there and start talking about your idea and validate your idea before you start building, aka spending money on doing something. Uh, it, it, go talk to potential customers. And that's a, a major problem I see with startups is they get an idea and then they start building it in a silo and they don't talk to anybody about it. And then they are like, Cool, I've got this thing. Uh, and then it just falls flat. A hundred percent on that. And you know, I think there's often a temptation to say things like, "Oh, you have to spend money to make money." Well, I hate it when people say that because it's just not true. Like, say you've created a new software piece or you've created a new widget, whatever it is. Like, you don't need to spend any dollars on Facebook or Google or wherever to advertise it. Like, don't fall for that trap. Everybody's got a paid cell phone plan that you pay for anyway. You know, it's unlimited. Get on the phone and sell it. Like sell it to everybody you can see if they'll buy it and then ask for their feedback. It's, it's painful. Yes. Everybody's going to hang up on you. Yes. But you're not going to spend any money and you're going to get actual sales. Like I've blown tons of cash on online ads. And you know, we touched on that earlier. You know, I thought like, Oh yeah, this is great. All I got to do is put it on Facebook and we'll sell a billion of these things. Well, the only thing that worked is when I started calling people and I was like, Hey, XYZ, Here's my product. I'd love to send you one. Let me know what you think. And then when they say, hey, this is great, you ask them, who do you know that might be interested in buying one or buying a thousand? And then they'll say, well, I don't know. Um, and you, what you can say is, give me one contact. I'm going to call them right now and I'll either use your name or not, whatever you like, but work that phone. That's how you get sales. Like, Don't waste your money online until you have a concept that you know is going to work for the mass market. Like, Use that cell phone. Save your money for a later date. You're going to need it. Absolutely. And you know, you kind of are, are leading into something that is a, a question I had for you. So uh, you brushed on it early. The product at TerraSlate paper is waterproof paper, right? And you know, selling paper in a digital world, you know, very interesting. Um, you, you, and I know a little bit more about you and your business than most guests because we had, we had dinner a few years back. Um, with your product, it's almost... It's, it's very close to being more B2B than it was D2C. And how do you kind of uh, kind of walk those lines? Because I feel like there are probably listeners out there that are in a very similar space where their product may be heavily you know, B2B as well. Yeah. Our product is probably 80% sold B2B. And 
Here's why B2B is good. Businesses have a lot more money than individual people. They're much bigger accounts. They have multiple departments and businesses will refer other businesses. And so if you get a referral from one small individual customer that refers their brother, great. But would you rather have Google recommended to Microsoft? Absolutely. Or would you rather use Google as a reference when you're pitching Microsoft? Or for instance, Terra Slate is in every um, Qdoba in the world. And what do you think my first call is after we got Qdoba? It's to Chipotle. You know, go straight to their competitor and say, hey, we're doing a lot of work with Qdoba. We'd love to work with you as well. And by the way, I've already cleared it with Qdoba because the products we make for them it isn't in effect their business against Qdoba in a, or excuse me, against Chipotle in a competitive way. So they're happy to do it. And sometimes they'll make the introduction. So B2B is great. Um, the key is getting paid. So businesses love to pay on 60-day, 30-day, 90-day terms. Um, we make almost everybody pay upfront. And that's because at the beginning of the business, I couldn't cover the purchase orders. So I had to make them pay upfront. And so what we do is we manufacture our materials and I pay for that on terms. I pay 60 day terms and I let them, uh, they let me put it on a credit card. So I really have 90 days to pay it, but I make the customer prepay. And that way, it doesn't matter how fast we grow, we can always afford our growth. We're not trying to pitch investors like, hey, we just need money to cover POs, or we're not taking loans to cover POs. We can carry that, plus we can carry a ton of inventory. And when that's important is when you have something like a pandemic and all the supply chains are messed up, we say, okay, let's make a ton of this stuff right now. We've got the warehouse space. Let's get it made and get it here, and we'll sell it down because it never goes bad, right? But we can also cover the cost of that inventory because we buy it on terms and we sell it prepaid. So businesses are are phenomenal. They will they will try to pressure you into taking a bad deal or bad terms because it's helpful for them and they think they're bigger than you um, and that's okay. But you can always push back. You know, I've, I've walked away from sales because I didn't like the payment terms, um, but I have a very successful business regardless of that. And I've never had an issue in collections. So, you know, know that the terms they give you aren't always the terms you have to go with. Absolutely. And so you found success with the B2B aspect of your business. And when we first met, I believe it was like almost right around when you started really going into the direct consumer side of things. So what have you found that works in a business that is heavily B2B and its products that are definitely, you know, more business centric? Um, how do you how does direct to consumer play into kind of your your marketing mix and kind of your business as a overall? Yeah. So for B2B stuff, we we sell like our perfect example is restaurant menus. We print hundreds of thousands of those every month. The customers love them because they can wipe them clean like a laminated menu, but they don't crack and peel. You can also recycle our menus. And then, oh, by the way, at the end of the month, they need to change the prices or change the menu content and they place another order. On the consumer side, um, the thing our biggest business is waterproof notebooks. So we do a ton of notebooks. They're They're super cool products. They work phenomenally well. We've got them all over the world. We're shipping them um, here, there, and everywhere each week, which is super fun. We just launched a new type of notebook um, that's reusable. We uh, we pair it with a Pilot Friction pen. You can get them on Amazon or Staples, wherever. Um, comes with that pen. And what's cool is you can fill out the notebook. And then with a damp paper towel, you can erase the entire notebook in two seconds and start again. So that's a pretty cool, like eco-friendly play. It's really good for people 
that travel a lot. They don't want to carry 20 notebooks as they fill them up. They want to fill out their notebook, take a couple pictures of the things that are important, and then they want to start fresh. So that's been a super cool B2C product for us. Is there a difference in your marketing of how you're trying to sell those direct-to-consumer products versus how you're approaching building out uh, B2B relationships? You know, I wish I could say yes, and then I have a really clear marketing strategy for each. But what I can tell you is that our our strategy, which you know, maybe as an ad guy, you're like, oh my gosh, Kyle, you're making my head explode right now. But we end up selling to people, whether they're the end user or they're the business. And so the same ad typically works really well for a B2C person as a B2C. You know, obviously, like a, a non-restaurant owner isn't going to buy restaurant menus, but they might buy waterproof paper to throw in their copier because they need to put some signage up around their house. So there's some for sale posters they're trying to make that they want to have outside. Um, so, you know, our marketing is is not super segmented, but we also don't spend a ton of money on on marketing um, like I have in previous businesses. We, the lifetime value of a customer is very high and we get a lot of word of mouth. And you know, we've found probably like everybody that the word of mouth means more than anything. So we we do a lot of business on that. And you know, right now we're fortunate enough that we can't produce the material fast enough. So we're not pushing ads that hard. Um, and so I probably need to take you to dinner, Chase, and sit down and see how we should segment out our ads. Um, but we're not doing that much marketing right now. Um, and in a, in a way, we're kind of fortunate for that. Just to pivot a little bit from there, you know, speaking of kind of just things that are difficult, you know, what would you say is the hardest part of building and growing a company? At any of my businesses, it's, it's the people. It's making really good hires. And then it's hiring really good managers to manage the team that you're building as you grow. There's nothing worse than hiring people that you really like, but that aren't good workers or that aren't good managers. Managing is a thousand times harder than anybody ever realizes. Um, I've hired so many managers that are wonderful people, but they're really not that effective. And it took me a long time to figure out like, ah, just because everybody likes this person doesn't mean that they're a great manager. And the way that I usually figure that out is you know, their wife moves to Cincinnati and they go with them or whatever. And we're very sad to lose them. But then the person that steps into their spot is like far and away different in their management style and still likable um, and still liked by everybody. But all of a sudden, the performance of their team goes way up. And, and it's just about leadership. So finding those really good employees that stick around, that go the extra mile, and then hiring managers that are great at managing teams... Um, that's the hardest thing for me, but I think it's also one of the most important things. So we put a lot of uh, energy and resources towards that. Did you ever experience this? This is something that we're experiencing right now. Is that um, there is almost a shift in that it be- becomes almost finding the sales is easier, but finding people finding the fulfillment is harder. You know, so on my end with like a service business, it's pretty, the parallels are like we're getting more clients, and it's like harder to find good employees. Um, like on your end, you, did you ever just kind of see that where it's like, all right, well, selling this thing isn't hard anymore. It's like getting the job done is hard. Yeah, hundred percent. The you know we're pretty good at selling it, and we've got a huge customer base that's growing all the time. But managing that growth is is really hard. You know, every month we have a record month. COVID was hard for us, like for everybody, but it may have been the best thing that ever happened to the company because everybody now is more germ conscious than ever. And our materials are easy to clean and sanitize and 
you know, grocery stores, restaurants, the military, uh, education spaces. So like we're trying to keep up with that growth and it is really hard to get the right people hired quick enough to, to stay on top of it all. And then you think you're in a really good place and then you lose somebody, you know, for one reason or another, um, you know, like we lost a guy yesterday, love this guy, but his commute is just killing him. And he's like, I can't, I can't commute this far and I'm not really able to move right now because he's in a long-term lease. So, um, those are super hard challenges. I hate that aspect of it. You know, like the, I'll be the first one to say that a good employee is worth twice whatever you're paying them because it's so hard to find a good one. So I would absolutely agree that like getting the people is harder than selling the product. Absolutely. And I just, I'm just going to say this to the podcast listeners. If you are a Shopify expert in anything that you've ever heard me riff on, please reach out to us through our website. We're always looking for full-time employees and contractors, freelancers. Um, you know, if you just want to chat, please go to the website, electricguy.io and, uh, you know, reach out. I'm going to jump in on that. All right, Chase, before we move on. Oh yeah, Kyle, what are you looking for? Here's what I want is I want to see every Shopify business build their website so that it's ADA compliant. I do not want to get sued for this. You will not be covered by your insurance or whatever supplemental policies you have. You're going to get sued. It's just a matter of time. Make sure it's ADA compliant. Um, we're going through that right now. We have a plugin, um, that makes our website ADA compliant, but really it's just an overlay. And what I can tell you about that Mm -hmm. overlay is that the automatic like checkers, the bots that they're using to test websites, they don't click the overlay. Um, so now we got to prove that like, if you were an actual person, you would have seen the overlay, but your bot didn't see it. So learn from that. Don't use an overlay. Make sure your website's ADA compliant. There's tons of checkers online. Just type your website in and it'll tell you in two seconds what your errors are. Save yourself the money in the hiring law firms. It's, it's brain damage you can avoid super easily. Like if, you, if I could tell you one thing, like do that today. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to preface this with, we are both not lawyers and this is not legal advice. Absolutely. Now, um, there are some resources out there that you can actually Google and find. I'm actually not going to link to them because I don't want to say that I this is something I believe in or I don't believe in or these are words I believe in. But you can actually find some um, arguments online that the overlays are A, not doing their job and B, almost like a scam. Uh, so you can go look at those things online and, and find those yourselves. Um, but the goal here is like we do want these websites to be ADA compliant. Um, you know, the law itself is written extremely vague, and it's why it's allowing businesses to be sued. You know, so that's a whole other thing. But if you're just looking at what it is, it's like yes, we want the internet to be compliant for for individuals that are browsing it that aren't doing it in a traditional way. Now, uh, ADA compliance itself, there are tiers of compliance. Uh, one being where everybody should be, and government websites aren't even one at times. Like that's like the 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 bar is very low there. Um, but three uh, is you know being as compliant as humanly possible and solving for everything is very rare. To be honest, it is it is it is a hard goal to find. But there's a million levels of differentiation between there. Um, you know, Shopify itself, outside out of the box, they do not claim to be ADA compliant. Uh, again, not a lawyer, not trying to. I, I assume, I think, I think, I don't know, I don't know that for a hundred percent. And no theme on the market either says that. 
And there are things that you can do to your store that are going to screw this up uh, as well. Like if you're if you're if you have text that's on over an image and the contrast isn't strong enough, that could not be compliant. Like if you don't have alt text on your images, that could not be compliant. So people oftentimes reach out to consultants and freelancers and agencies such as ours, and they're like, "We want an ADA compliant website." And it, like half that conversation is like, "We we all have to understand, you know, what is compliant. What are you asking actually asking for?" And then B, it's like, you know, an agency or a consultant or a freelancer can set you up for success there, but you also need to improve your processes and systems within your business to make sure the content that you're updating on your website and the changes that you're making to that, you know, your store are still in line with like being compliant. So it isn't all on a, uh, an agency or a contractor either. You know, there's it's a it's a big thing. And like, kind of what I'll end on here is like, there is no quick win here, there's nothing that's going to circumvent doing the work. You can tell I've uh, had that conversation a few times, can't you? <laughs> yeah, the, the passion is real there, man. But it's justified. It's justified. Like solve your own problem. Don't let somebody... You know, honestly, they're trolls. A lot of them are, are not fair lawsuits, but it's a way to make a buck for the attorney and for the, uh, you know, the client. So avoid that. Yeah, it's, it's digital ambulance chasing yeah. at the end of the day. And it's very frustrating. Um, but... These bad actors are pointing out something that we should all strive to do. We should make the internet a better place. I do believe in that. Sure. Absolutely. I just don't believe in the uh, motivation behind them. Right. Kyle, you've been a wealth of knowledge today. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you about that you think would be uh, useful for our audience? One piece of advice that I'd love to give is, as an entrepreneur, join as many groups as you can. Google entrepreneur groups in your area. Hop on LinkedIn. A lot of uh, a lot of times there's leads groups. I can't tell you how many leads groups I was joined at the beginning of TerraSlate. I mean, there would be like realtors and tax people, and I would get up there and pitch waterproof paper to a bunch of people that I mean, I have no idea. And a lot of them became customers, you know, or a lot of them because you're in a leads group say, "Hey, you know what? I actually have a contact for you." The the thing that I learned at leads groups is every time you meet somebody, every time you give a speech. Every time you get the opportunity to talk in front of people at the very end, say a really good lead or a really good referral for me, and I'll give you mine, is somebody in the restaurant industry. We make the best menus in the world. They're super well-priced. We have a two-day turnaround time. They love them. So if you know anybody in the restaurant industry that I should know, shoot them my number or give me theirs. I'd love to get in touch with them right away. Absolutely. Kyle, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Chase. Had a great time today. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.